Welcome to the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. Hello and welcome back to... Uh, the Youthscape podcast. I'm Martin Saunders. With me, Rachel Gardner. We're back. Mid-season breakover. We've had a few weeks off, but we are raring to go. We've not had a fight. We've not fallen out. There's, There's not been, been an intervention. Four Tell weeks you, of mediation. Four weeks of mediation. Tell you what else is back, though. Are go you on. ready for this, listeners? This is going to take a very murky dive now. Norovirus. <gasps> Do oh. you think it's back? The bug. The sick bugs. I. My kids have been hurling like nobody's business this last week. And I suddenly thought as I was mopping up for the 20th time and my son is like imitating my daughter and loving making the puking sound. I suddenly thought I've not done this in about three years. Oh, how lovely. So lots of things are back with a vengeance. What a lovely story. We're back with a vengeance. I hope you are well, lovely listeners. And that whether you have had to navigate sick bugs or not, that that you're excited. To have us back on the air. We're excited to be back. <laughs> perhaps too excited. And uh, it's certainly in one case. And um, and, and we'll get on to uh, where we are in this particular season of the Youthscape podcast in just a moment. Mm. But I just want to take a moment to describe a couple of changes that oh, have taken like place. This, so, first of all, as you may be aware, at the end of the first half of this series, this season, um, producer Amy uh, moved on after. Mm. Hello, producer Amy, of course, now a, just a listener. Um, but she uh, she moved on after uh, quite a few years, yes. kind of with this podcast, and uh, and in that in the background of those last couple of episodes, we referred to a chap. Um, I don't think we named him, but we talked no. about him as tech support, and he's been promoted from tech support. Drum roll! Uh, producer Dave yes. is with us, but he is taking a non-speaking role, um, although has previously appeared on an episode of the Escape Podcast. If you're a a bit of a detective, you can find him there. But he's not going to speak. He's just going to pull faces at us from across a very long room. Um, one of my favourite things about producer Dave already is the way that he 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 gently wraps in cotton wool any critical feedback. So uh, so Rachel said, look, I've listened to some of the episodes of the podcast recently uh, and uh, and my voice is, is really quiet. quiet. Martin's voice is really loud. I don't like it. <laughs> and why is that? And, uh, and, and Dave... <laughs> found a way of sort of explaining that it's because you shout sometimes <laughs> and sometimes you're very quiet. But what was the phrase that he but used? But he used the phrase that you have a dynamic range. And it's I because of your dynamic that. range. I, I will embrace the dynamic range. You've got a badge that says dynamic range. <laughs> dynamic range. I love that. He's got glorious hair, glorious glasses and a glorious heart. And then the other thing, yes, which you've stopped doing it now, but we've got these amazing chairs which um, we're going to have to take a photo of and put on social media. Um, but basically, they come right, they, they wrap around. Wings. They do have bat wings, like a like I imagine a first class airplane seat to have. Yes. I've never been on a first class airplane seat. Okay, but it, but, it, but you are you have been clinging on. Contained. Uh, yeah. So actually, as Martin is speaking, I have my hands up, like yeah. holding on for dear life because I don't I don't know what's about to happen. If you but imagine Rachel, it's like she's doing the Y in YMCA. Yeah, I do feel a little bit trapped. So we'll see how this first episode goes because I do like to move quite a bit. You keep bumping into it, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I do. But I I, I do appreciate the uh, the. Uh, the 
with what's happening here. And we're in the second half of this season. Martin, I, I know that there's a standing joke that I listen back to every episode. Yeah. Partly because I do want to check that we're not about to hideously like burn bridges with everyone that we know. But it has been really interesting listening back and thinking, gosh, yeah, we've, we've had some guests on that have really helped us tackle some big difficult conversations yes. and they've and we've started the conversation thinking one thing mm. and they've taken it off in another direction i think we can promise more of that oh reckless goodness abandon going forward actually can't reckless we abandon. i love it I love dynamic it. range yep it's everything <laughs> everything's happening uh so the uh the theme this season is big conversations yeah and so it's we're we're talking to great guests who help us to understand uh how to have really difficult or very big and hard to, you know, manage yeah. conversations uh, with young people particularly. And so we've already looked at um, the Bible and uh, talking about disability and, addiction, and addictions yeah. uh, and lots of other things. And in this, it, I have to say, I've never, I've looked at the list of guests okay. we've got and it's because it's in front of me and we have got some amazing guests I know how on earth how on earth did you manage that what's Wait, happened there? I think probably they thought they were being interviewed by somebody else and we just managed to somehow sneak in but there are some incredible guests and I think it's worth just reiterating because we um, Martin and I for all that we waffle on about all sorts of stuff essentially we are youth workers that's what we do day in day out so the conversations that we've been sitting having with our wonderful guests are, are, they, they matter to us because we're sat with young people me and Blackburn Martin and Rygate you know with young people chatting about this stuff but also recognising that often often I know from my point of view that often young people they really want to have some conversations but but sometimes struggle to know when to feel safe to have them a kind of not a lack of intelligence but sometimes a lack of language to know how to have quite nuanced conversations mm. and i would say in the last 20 years of being a youth worker it does feel different now yeah. i do think for many young people they don't always feel safe to have chats about anything where they might disagree slightly with somebody mm. else so mm. these feel like really precious sacred spaces that we're opening up and our hope through this season is not just that you have a few great ideas and brilliant insights from wonderful people on specific topics but that it encourages us all as a kind of a spiritual discipline mm. to help young people reflect theologically socially mm. pastorally on stuff that's happening around them in their world that they are massively involved with so we want to be a church that engages and, I'm, and that's our hope really for you guys listening to this that you feel encouraged to do that and me and martin are you know we're in the trenches with you doing this alongside you we're going to talk in a couple of weeks time about um we'll probably dive into the the question of cancel culture and mm. uh, and what that means for young people yeah. but it's a it's obviously a huge barrier the the fear that what you say yeah public might, shaming might yeah. get you into all sorts of trouble now or in the future i had the most fascinating quote uh, the other day which has really stuck with me and i'm not a massive fan of jimmy carr the comedian mm -hmm. um but he said something really interesting which was that he he knows or he believes that he's already made the joke that ends his career so he says some, somewhere in wow. some special i've recorded somewhere i have said something i'm not i won't know what it is yet but there'll be something that at some point becomes so beyond the pale that yeah it's the end of me and he said actually that's kind of liberating Mm -hmm. uh, to know that I've sort of already done it. There's nothing I can do now that will mm. end my career because I've already done it. And and I think that is the culture we're living in now. It's like as we as we go through the years, more and more things become like problematic, and 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 so young people understand that, and mm. they and they fear 
the thought of having big conversations. So I think this season is incredibly important to not only to as as we talk about what the subjects are, but also to talk about the the way that we can have those conversations well. Brilliant. I, I guess I'm just hearing Jimmy Carr say that. That is so true. And I, I think of sort of well-known Christian speakers who are getting themselves into trouble at the moment mm. for things they said. It's often for things they said a few years ago yeah. in sermons that that now have put them on the wrong side of history. And that and that sense, that fear of in a way you're always on the wrong side of history because mm. cultural ideas are changing so rapidly. And I guess if we're thinking really specifically about our role as pastors of, an, of emerging generations, a question for us is not how do we keep ourselves on the right side of history? That's not mm. a priority really that is driving, that's motivating me. But it is how do I help these young people who I've been asked to serve in Jesus' name to be able to really live out their full potential, to explore with real curiosity and interest the world that they're in. And to know that that faith in Jesus absolutely intersects at every level with what they're facing and that they're, they're developing faith identity um, actually can really equip them for making sense of the world that they're in. So I think this is not about us as youth workers trying to get all our ducks up in a row and trying to make sure we don't do the wrong thing. Although that I understand we're pragmatists we, and we don't want to hurt young people. Mm. Absolutely mm. don't want to hurt young people. But this is not about us being on the right side of history. It's about us absolutely pastorally caring for young people and helping them flourish and that is our driver isn't it yes help them flourish i think if we'd had this conversation even if we'd had it 25 years ago very few people would have been interested actually lots of people would have switched off at this yes. point yes and young people would have been like i don't, I don't know yeah. if this is a big issue for me really even 10 years ago that might have been somewhat the case now yeah. this feels like one of the absolutely biggest and most important conversations that young people adults the world is having. And so we're going to talk about climate change and climate justice. We're going to talk to an expert because you and Thank I are goodness. neither of us are <laughs> climate justice experts. Um, but just just to sort of let's just get a little um, a feel for where we are, though, in terms of uh, on a scale of like swampy to Donald Trump, uh, where it, those are some culturally relevant reference points, aren't they? <laughs> um, where, where are you as a sort of uh, eco warrior, Rachel Gardner? Oh, I, I would say I'm a guilty eco-warrior in that I recognise there is a lot about my lifestyle that I, that I have the power to change and I should change and I haven't changed. I also am listening to you and I'm also thinking that I've not had a conversation with a young person in the last couple of months about climate activism. Mm. And I'm asking myself, why is that? Is that living and working where I am that feels less pressing of an issue than other issues or is it actually that again I'm falling into the trap of 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 thinking that there are some things that are more important so I open up more space inadvertently for that than for issues around climate change um and then what does it mean for young people in, in my local community to engage with their climate in, uh, activism and is that they're desperate to clean up the streets and clean up the underpass and get the needles off the street. And actually that is a brilliant way into environmental justice, mm. well-being for the planet and for others. So I'm so I'm going to be challenged by this, I think. Okay. Do you th I think you're probably further down this line well, than me. Well, I don't know. So my, so my youngest children are slightly older than your children, yeah. I think. And I've seen in them, they're the ones where I've first seen the real passion yeah. for climate, climate yes. activism. So I haven't particularly with my now teenage children, as they've come through, mm. but the generation that's now in primary school, I think, have just grown up in the crisis narrative mm. period. And so their brain goes there all the time, often drawing pictures of 
you know, yes. doing, you know, making posters, save the world, all that sort yes. of stuff. That's what my kids do all the time. Posters to save the world. That's not <laughs> true. Uh, but they, um, but you know, they're much more aware, much yes. more passionate yes. about it. Great. So I, so I do get a bit of a nudge from my, from my kids. Um, but, uh, but I think, yes, I'm trying to make little, so one of the little changes I'm trying to make at the moment is around clothing. So yes. I've just started to sort of yes, try and indeed. buy mm-hmm. ethically. Yeah. Uh, in either from ethical producers or secondhand, you know, mm. different stuff like that. So that's probably how my, my lifestyle is shifting. But I'm aware, like you, long way to go. Mm. But we look to the pioneers. We look to the people yes. who have invested their lives in this. And Laura Young, otherwise known as Less Waste Laura, you may know her from Instagram, um, is, is our guest today. And uh, she's going to help us. And stand by for some absolutely fantastic theology around climate justice. it's great to talk to you um can we start i mean i know you as less waste laura on instagram and, and whenever like when um i heard that we had you coming on the podcast i just it was just told to me we're going to interview less waste laura and i presume that isn't your actual name no i know you'd be surprised to know it's not but definitely that's what i go by nowadays but my second name is young there you go. oh laura there we go but um so so what just explain to the uninitiated why you're less waste laura oh i mean I guess it's a, a great question and it's got a story attached to it, but Less Waste Laura is what I call myself online is like the easiest way to explain it. And it's because maybe four years ago now, I decided to embark on a journey to be more sustainable, just to play my part, just to see where it took me. And I began documenting it because people were interested. And I thought, I don't want to bombard all my regular friends and family with this stuff if they don't want to see it. So I created a different kind of username, a different Instagram page and social media page. And I called it Less Waste Laura because in the beginning, that was my goal was just to be myself, but with less waste and see where it took me. And so that's like the origins of where the name came from. And it kind of just stuck because it's a bit catchy. Okay. Or, or, or superhero alter ego, we could call yeah. it. Oh, hundred percent. Exactly. Because you've got a superhero origin story now. So that's awesome. <laughs> um, so, so just let's talk about the kind of less waste thing first of all. I know you know this is really your specialist subject, but to to most people, it's a slightly terrifying prospect. The idea that you would have to suddenly start—I don't know—going to one of those supermarkets where you have to get all your muesli in a paper bag from a from a dispenser. You know, do you know what I mean? I know I'm being an absolute luddite here, but. Yeah, there is a sort of a sense of kind of fear attached to like, oh, well, how would we do without all the kind of uh, extra packaging products that we have in our lives? Yeah, do you know, it's a great point. And actually, I remember right at the beginning of when I started this, and even when I was picking, you know, what was my username going to be? I actually didn't go for one of the terms that is thrown around quite a lot, which is this zero waste term. Because I was like, mm. that's just not achievable, that puts people off. I'm never gonna be there myself, so I wouldn't wanna call myself that. So it was actually something in the back of my mind even four years ago when I was beginning this to think about. But often I like to document the really simple ways that we can make switches and not like all at once. You know, you have to radically transform your whole lifestyle overnight because that's what I try to do and it doesn't work. But actually, (laughs) you know, it's like all the little tweaks, the little changes that you can make even from big supermarkets or even from, you know, wherever you shop already, there's all the wee little tips and tricks that you can try Mm. um, to just slowly, slowly get there. And then 
one day you might end up in one of those refill shops and it doesn't feel like such a big step uh, and it can be kind of fun doing it differently if you get the chance. So we're all used to maybe, I can think of a couple straight away of, of the little changes that have kind of become universal over the last um, few years. So we've all become used now to taking our own bags to the supermarket. Um, and uh, there was a little period, I know for a lot of people, where it felt worse because we were just buying loads of those really yeah. thick plastic bags because we kept forgetting them. But I think most of us now have got our, got our act together. Um, and the other thing is sort of um, coffee or, or tea cups that you might take to a coffee shop and have refilled. Um, are there any kind of other really easy wins that you think could just like, that you could roll these out everywhere? Do you know, it's often just little tweaks kind of here, there and everywhere. So I used to always tell people, you know, if you buy fizzy juice, try and buy it in cans or glass bottles instead of plastic. Hmm. You know, if you are buying fruit and veg, you know, don't go for the plastic bag that you might wrap them in, but try and buy them loose. Just just throw them into your trolley or your basket. And it's all these like little switches that over time actually build up to being quite a big change. And then, of course, you've got your reusable coffee cups, always being prepared, having like in my bag, I've always got a little tub, a set of cutlery and an empty cup just just in case, you know. Someone just, wants to, just, just in case I come across a situation, <laughs> I need to, you know, get my reusable set. It's like my superhero oh, kit. That that's just, that's just where I was going. <laughs> Instead of a cape, I've got a reusable cup. That's the, the vibe that I'm going for. But also, you know, I guess as I've been on this journey, you know, you also realise that plastic and carbon intensive activities, you know, because we're thinking about how it links with climate change as well. Mm. You know, actually it kind of threads throughout different parts of your life. So you don't need to just think about plastic, but you can think about clothing, like sustainable clothing, how you can do that differently, how you can find alternatives that way. Um, and the same goes for like all different parts of your life. You just find these little things that over time, you know, you kind of tweak and change, you know, even just simple things. And it's always funny when I speak to my grandparents about this, because often I'll come to them with this revelation of like a new way of doing something. And they're like, that is literally what we did 50 years ago. You're just, <laughs> you're, you're reliving. You know, I'm like, wow, you can get bars of soap and, you know, you can get orange juice <laughs> in glass bottles. Yeah. And they're like, that's not yeah. news to us. You know, this is that's stuff brilliant. that we did. And often it's just kind of going backwards a wee bit and, and that's mm. where you get your inspiration from. So there's been that kind of period in the middle where we've become, for the sake of convenience, we've introduced all this plastic uh, and exactly. actually it's just not necessary. It is. And, you know, there's actually a really interesting like history when it comes to plastic. And it was in the kind of 60s and 70s, there was this rise in disposability so you can go and get a coffee and it's in a cup and you can throw it away or you can buy you know people often talk about taking like fizzy juice glass bottles back to the local shop and getting 10p or 20p for it but we actually brought in single-use plastic to mm. be convenient but it was interesting because we actually as a nation had to teach ourselves to throw things away because yeah. it wasn't how we used to do it you know we used to take the glass bottles back to the shop or we used to have things you know in materials that could be reused time and time again and we actually had to like teach ourselves and now it's the opposite we're having to get out of the habit of saying anything I want I can have it now and I don't need to worry about any of the packaging because I can just throw it into the nearest bin so it's like a weird history blip wow. that we're trying to get over that we've put ourselves in that is interesting are there any kind of ways that you think we we try to uh be good in this area you know like with recycling and stuff like that and actually 
can get it wrong and make things worse. You know, are there are there kind of classic pitfalls that we fall into with trying to uh, solve this problem, make less waste, and actually we we actually make other problems happen as a result. You actually said it. Recycling. Recycling yeah. is like a massive example, though, in general, of something that's really not solving the problem that we were hoping it would. Mm. When you look into recycling, which I have done way too many times mm. and I've dived way too deep into this topic, you actually realise that we just don't recycle enough, you know, with plastic. It's less than 10% of what we make is recycled. And if you go to the shops and you buy something made of plastic, it's often not made of any recycled materials. So you think, hold on a second, mm. 100% of my plastic is being recycled, but I'm not buying any of it back. So where's it going? It's like a loop that doesn't quite connect. Mm. We also just get it wrong because there's too many types of plastic. We're not sure what bin it goes in. Maybe we don't have the right bins. Everyone's got different bins. And I think recycling just as a whole is a bit of a smoke and mirrors to distract mm. us from the issue. I'm like a big advocate for finding a different way of doing it, which is this less waste rather than Oh, we just yeah. need to recycle our way out of the problem because we've now been recycling. You know, kids are now growing up only knowing about recycling. I think my generation had to kind of be taught about recycling. Like my parents, like recycling wasn't a thing. And so mm. it's interesting that it's kind of been branded as a bit of a solution, but it isn't actually getting us anywhere. And it's kind of causing more problems than it's probably worth, which is why I'm always the advocate for, can you get whatever you're looking for with no packaging whatsoever? or definitely not plastic and maybe one of the other materials that's much better when it comes to disposing it. So there's loads of these kind of tips and thoughts uh, on your Instagram, uh, yeah. which is Less Waste Laura. I feel like I need to move the conversation on at this point because I could really fall down a rabbit hole here because I've reached, a, I've, I've reached an age, Laura, <laughs> where bins have become one of the most important things in my life. Yep. Uh, missing bin day... I, I can't think of anything more stressful oh, than the day, you know, because now it's alternate weeks. Yeah. Uh, and if missing bit, and I realized that's when I really realized I'd really embedded myself in my 40s. So we, we did a bit of research together, Tear Fund and Youthscape, uh, a little while back, uh, published as Burning Down the House. Uh, and it found that young people are incredibly aware of and passionate about um, what I'm going to call the climate crisis, you might use a different phrase. Um, and uh, and it, it really does seem to be on the agenda of this generation, more more so than maybe of any any generation that's gone before. Um, and and, and it, it really is a, you know, it's a pressing thing for them because they are looking at their future and saying, hang on, this is the world that we're inheriting. But it's a complicated one. So we're talking today about how we have a, a good conversation with young people, and there might be the young people in our youth groups, about climate justice and climate change. And, um, and one of the things that uh, we are talking about uh, in a different part of our research at the moment is the fact that young people really feel this stuff passionately, but are also feeling a bit overwhelmed that the responsibility is falling on them, that actually the generation's... Uh, that have learned, as we've just discussed, um, to make everything disposable, have created this crisis and are now handing the world and that world on to them. So how do we start to have a good conversation with this generation about climate justice? I mean, what a question. You know, I think you touched on something really interesting there, which 
I guess it's just, you know, this generation seems really aware, they seem really passionate, but they do seem, you know, overwhelmed by it. And I guess it's because I was having a really interesting conversation with some kids at my church a couple of weeks ago. And we were talking about the environment, you know, talking about climate change and plastic and all this stuff. And, you know, one of them said, you know, oh, you know, when we go on holiday, we always make sure that we do litter picks. And, you know, we're always looking for the climate impacts of, of where we're going. And we're thinking about sustainability. And I just thought, what a shame that that is like on the minds of these young, tiny people who that's all they're thinking about growing up is how the world, where they go, isn't looking right. It's not looking healthy and it's not being taken care of. And I think, first of all, it's our job as adults to really recognize that, to realize that actually we feel like we've been hearing about climate change, particularly in the news and in the media and all of that for the last, you know, five, 10 years. But for many young people, that's the majority of their life. They have heard about this stuff. You know, even, you know, thinking about the planet getting warmer, you know, we've been measuring temperatures kind of really accurately for about 150 years, but half of the warming of that time's happened in my lifetime and I'm 25. And so all I've ever known is year on year records being broken for floods and droughts and, and you know, warm temperatures and hottest year ever. And you think, well, it was the hottest year ever last year. So what, what's happening? So I guess the first place, you know, to come to this conversation with is, is from a real place of understanding and the space of, you know, really giving young people the opportunity, you know, to talk about this. And, and it's interesting because actually, I really like that research that came out a couple of years ago um, with Tear Fund and Youthscape because you know, for me, it kind of validated something I'd experienced, but I think it validated a lot of what young people were thinking about, which is also the fact that, you know, it's in the news, it's in the media, it's in schools, they are learning about it. But where often is the one place we are just not hearing about climate change, the climate crisis, the changing world and, and our part in that? And, you know, often I used to sit and think, you know, as the church, we respond really well to issues of injustice, whether that's local or global. And we we have prayer meetings for different issues and, you know, we raise awareness and we fundraise and we do all of this stuff. But why is none of it talking about the planet and the impact that that's having on people all around the world? And it made me feel really disconnected to my church, to my at the time, I was a young person. Well, I still think I'm a young person. You're a very young a, person. I was, like, I was a younger person, you know, and, and it kind of made me disengage with lots of the Christian spaces that I was in because there wasn't even a chance to just talk about it. And so I think when we come to this issue, often it is about opening up that space. And sometimes that's because also we need to recognize that youth workers, church workers, volunteers cannot be experts in everything. So cannot know all the ins and outs of every topic before bringing it to the church or to a youth group. But it's important to just say, actually, let's learn about this together. Let's discuss it. Let's see what we can do. Let's find some actions. Let's raise away. Let's do everything. But let's just start with having a conversation. I think that's the key part of all of this. Yeah. Now, one of the reasons why churches don't talk about this is because they don't have a very thought through theology on it. So I guess it would be helpful to ask you, you know, well, and and I, and make it simple for me because you know I am I am simple. Um, uh, you know where would you start if you were trying to give a bit of a theological basis for why this stuff is important? Um, you know for young people. Sure, I think there's three ways to answer this, or three kind of angles that I come at it when when talking about this stuff. 
The first is that if you were to open the Bible and just start reading from page one and hope to bump into something about the planet, it would be in those first few pages. You know, we hear the Genesis story, the creation story about this beautiful world that was created. But then, of course, we know that the fall happened and a broken relationship was there. But when you read those first few pages, you actually hear that God's first instruction for us was to just look after this beautiful place that we get to call home. And it's foundational that we take responsibility to take care of this earth, to look after it, to help it sustain us, but we need to sustain it. And so I think my first thing is that kind of angle. It's often called creation care, just the angle of like responsibility. You know, and when you look through the Genesis story, you hear each day something was created and it was good and it was good and it was good. And then it was all done and it was very good. And I think just when you look around, when you go to places that are experiencing climate change, when you see pollution or when you see waste just lying around, you just can't say it's very good. So that's the first bit is just the simple aspect of just looking after it. In the same way that we look after our bodies, even though we know they aren't going to last forever, we take care of it, we honour it because it was a gift from God. So that's the first angle. The second angle is also love thy neighbour. You know, we are called to love our neighbour, not just the person next door, but the person all around the world. And the more and more we hear about the links between the way that we live as individuals, as nations, as, you know, areas of the world, the impact that's having on the climate and people, the more we need to see the link between actually, I want to love my neighbour by making sure that the situation they're in isn't made worse because of the way that we live our lives. So it's about loving our neighbour and doing that however we can. And then the third bit is linked to that, but it is, you know, in Romans chapter 12, we are called to live differently. We are called to offer up our lives as a living sacrifice of worship to God. And that's, you know, through all aspects, it's what we buy in the supermarkets. It's how we get our clothes. It's the way we dress ourselves. It's the way we travel. It's the way we talk to people. It's the way we care for this environment. And I think when you flip, you know, sacrificing your lifestyle for the climate to actually, this is an act of worship for the God whom I love, for the planet that he gave us, for the neighbors that I want to care for, it just all becomes a little bit easier as well. So those are my kind of three ways that it's really grounded in theology. It's this idea that, you know, we are called to creation care, to be responsible for this earth. We are called to love our neighbor, to speak up for injustices, to to really fight for a better world for everyone. And we need to recognize that. And also because we're called to live differently. We're called to, to act in worship for God. And we do that through everything, every part of our lives. That's the best sermon most of us are going to hear this week. <laughs> Very good. You can tell I've said it a few times. Very compelling. What? Let me ask you a trickier question because you were very you were very nice and I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to tease some nastiness out of you um why do you think then a lot of churches a lot of Christians aren't won over by that why do you think there there's a kind of counter argument that you know what we we're investing in the wrong things if we're worrying about you know going on climate marches the most important thing is to save souls because their house hasn't flooded because they're not getting wildfires next to their 
beautiful green spaces because they haven't experienced the devastation of climate change, but also because they have a narrow view of the gospel. Because when they read the gospel, they think of this small thing of narrowing it down to for God so loved Laura and Martin and nothing else. And that's why he came just for us too, just for me, just for my soul, just for that one other person. No, 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 no. For God so loved the world, every part of it. And he came to restore all broken relationships and be part of the restoration of all things. And when we narrow down the gospel, we do, we get the blinkers on and we think, you know, actually there's only, you know, there's only, there's only one thing that we are here to do and everything else is completely irrelevant. But, you know, it's really interesting because actually I've got um, just a, a good story if we've got time, which is kind of what, how I answer this, because I actually had the privilege of being able to go on a trip with work through Tear Fund and we went to Uganda and we went there because they are doing loads of work helping with climate impacts. So I'm from Scotland. We don't really see the impacts of climate change here. Actually, a few degrees warmer wouldn't be too bad. That would be quite nice. <laughs> but I think, it, you know, when I went on this trip, I was like, you know, I'm going to see the impacts of climate change. We're going to see what's happening. And to cut the kind of long story short, the, the real impacts in Uganda are all to do with water. You know, and water is something that's spoken about in the Bible. It's, it's such a symbol. But in Uganda, they have too much water, which often you don't think of with climate change. You think, surely it's about droughts. But they have way too much water, which is causing flooding, which is like polluting land. So the partners that we work with there are all to do with water. That's their thing. And it's this diocese of Kigezi, so a group of churches who come together to do these water projects. And they totally get it and it's amazing because they came to pick us up in this kind of jeep thing to go through and, and, and see these different communities and on the side of this jeep they had their slogan which was water is life jesus is the everlasting life because they get it they get that people need to be sustained people need water they need water to drink they need clean water and safe access but they also need jesus but they can't do one without the other. They can't go to communities who don't have water to drink, who are dying because of, you know, sanitation issues and try and tell them about Jesus. But they also can't just go and give them water and then leave. And they, it's just so easy because they get it, they understand it. And actually some of the best stories out of that project is the fact that their church has grown because of the work that they are doing. And so I think when we talk about, you know, one of the questions, you know, you also... I also often get, you know, is, well, if you were, you know, you had 24 hours with someone and, and you could only talk to them about one thing, what would you tell them about? You know, and they're obviously wanting to try and make a point. And I go, how many times have you been in that situation? I haven't been in it ever. So, I, you know, I think often we like to kind of do this. But, you know, also, final story for this. Um, it, so my last role within Tear Fund was actually working at COP26, this huge United Nations summit all to do with climate change. We had thousands of people that came to Glasgow and Tear Fund was in the heart of it, you know, doing our campaigning and activism work. And it was two weeks long, this conference, and it was in Glasgow. And I kind of thought, probably for the next two weeks, all I'm going to be talking about is climate change. I'm probably not going to be talking about Jesus very much. I don't know if that was a bad thing to think, but I was like, you know, this is just such a big moment for the climate. That's probably all I'm going to talk about. I have never told more people about my faith and about the gospel than I did in those two weeks at that United Nations summit in Glasgow 
because every single conversation you had, people were asking you, who are you here with? Why are you here? What drives your passion? What's your, where is your hope? And I thought, I mean, what an honor to be in here and to get the opportunity to share a bit about the gospel that is rooted in why we are standing here for climate justice. So to me, these things link up, but often people just need the opportunity to hear about it, to think about it, and to realize that it's not an either or, it's a both and. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And I, and I, when I think about talking to young people, this is a slightly controversial thing to say, and it is also something we've said a few times on the podcast before. Um, when I talk to young people about sin now, because I do that all the time. It's like a fun <laughs> thing that I like to do. You go around talking to young people about sin. Um, but when, when, we, when the topic of sin comes up, they really struggle to identify with the idea that this man, Jesus, who was God, came and had to die because they uh, might have done some things wrong in their personal life. Like it always feels, it just feels very, very small. And it also feels quite individualistic and young people are individualistic, but also I think they, they, they're, they're more part of a joined up globalized community than ever before. So I think they look at it and they think, really, is that the whole story? And when you start to say, well, actually, really sin is about these big issues like racial justice and climate justice and the ways in which all of us have participated in those. I feel like young people, it starts to make sense. Like the, why Jesus came to die, why they are actually part of something that needs to change, why they need to say sorry, why they need to repent for their part in something. It, make, it seems to make so much more sense when you, when you explain those more structural systems of sin rather than just, I don't know, is that a controversial thing to say or is that just good theology? I think that's a good thing to say. And, you know, who doesn't struggle with that sometimes, though? You know, who doesn't have those moments? You know, we're recording this just after Holy Week, you know, after Easter. You know, it's a real time where, you know, the crucifixion of Christ is, is something that we all every year have to kind of wrap our heads around. And at times, you know, you are overwhelmed with confusion and hurt and, and kind of trying to piece it all together. And then other times you're just overwhelmed by the love that God has and almost the kind of motivation to be a part of the reconciliation and restoration that, that we're called to do. But I think, you know, also recognizing that it helps young people also understand those issues more. You know, racial justice, climate justice, gender issues, refugee, right? All these issues can also be explained further and can be understood more when we talk about the gospel. Fantastic. Thank you, Laura. It's been really great to talk to you. Um, if people want to find more about you and your kind of online presence and what you're doing, is Instagram the place to start? Yeah. I mean, I call myself Lesways Laura across all platforms. So you can find me wherever you like to surf the net and come and have a conversation. You know, the best thing I love about social media, though, is it is a two way street. You know, it's a place where you can discover and learn and have conversations. And I think that's always the most amazing bit of it. So come and say hi um, and, yeah, continue this climate action together.
was a great interview, Martin. I think what I really like about Laura is she's got that ability to think to, to help us think really intelligently about what we're doing mm. beyond just the virtue signaling which which so much I, I'm with you on the recycling you know that is the bane of my life and I feel I'm doing my bit um what I also like about her in the way she uses her platform is I think sometimes when when you're passionate about an issue it can be really hard to, to tread that ground between really being effective and being honest and engaging and entering kind of sort of a holier than thou I'm yeah. better than you. and she she, she avoids that yeah, brilliantly. Really she and I and I like. I think I can learn a lot from her about just the way she presents information. She engages with script. She has a really rich, robust, deep dive into why this stuff matters, and it comes out in in all sorts of ways. And I, I think she's a brilliant example of how you engage really well on a topic. Yeah. So I have been challenged. <laughs> I stand corrected, and I'm going to rethink about my meat intake and clothing and all that kind of stuff. One thing we didn't mention. Yes. If you if you enjoyed Laura, you will be able to hear her at satellites this summer oh of course throw that in satellites just mention that but we're not talking about satellites today we're going to talk about you oh are we you hate that don't you oh never like that well i mean i I kind of do but i don't as well spotlights on you rachel gardner (laughs) i don't like you wrote a book oh i did a very good book and like me you had the the joys of writing a a lockdown book, mm. which is sort of a book that came out in COVID, yeah. and and sort of some some people have, have read those books. And it's yeah, great. And so some don't people have big haven't. launches. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so I would really encourage you if you haven't caught Rachel's book yet, the sex thing, check it out. It's had great reviews. It's had interesting reviews. I think it's it's provoked some interesting conversations. And actually, this last couple of months, it's. It sort of invited me into some really interesting spaces to have conversations and quite nuanced conversations around sex and sexuality. I'm very picky and choosy about where I will go and speak, partly because I think I'm, I don't really want to come and speak to a church youth group because youth worker, you're the best person to be doing mm. that. These are mm. your young people. I will occasionally do it. And I find it, I don't like to go and speak on platforms where a particular case is being presented okay. and I'm trotted out as yes. either for or against. Yes. I just find those really unhelpful. Um, but there's some interesting conversations opening up where I think people are genuinely seeking to ask questions about how do we pastorally care and disciple young people who are choosing a Christian faith identity and trying to make sense of this stuff. I'm really interested in those conversations. The one thing you would say about it is you probably wouldn't want to read it on, on the bus because <laughs> it says the sex thing yes. on the front cover <laughs> it and does. it's bright lurid red. Very, very red. Um, so, so maybe maybe we could Get start brown producing paper little brown paper covers. Exactly. But um, it is there is a way that lots of people are going to be reading uh, the sex thing over uh, the next Next month or so, um, and that is through the Big Church Read. So this is an initiative of St Andrew's Bookshop, um, and uh, it's all done online. And you've recorded some videos. Yes. So how does it how does it work? Well, I think it's a great idea to um, get a bunch of friends together or your church small group who are interested in a topic and then listen to the author waffle on for a few minutes to you and then read some of the chapters and discuss it. So I've created six little films that just kind of act as a little bit of why I wrote this chapter or what was what I was thinking. And it's it is it's not a, it's not scripted. I'm just sort of talking to camera saying this is what's behind it for me and this is what really mattered to me and this is what was going through my head and I wonder what you think about this. The 
hilarious thing about it, Martin, was I recorded it when I came to Youthscape for the day recently. And lovely Ollie, lovely Ollie, uh, came and recorded it for me. But he just kept the camera rolling the entire time. Oh, wow. And I didn't realise that. And he sent the entire thing to the lovely friends at St Andrew's Bookshop oh. who had to edit. Oh. But it has me on there chatting away to him oh, at no. hilarious conversations I've had with people, slightly dodgy conversations, yeah. like me being a little bit, you know, close to the mark. And I'm like, Ollie, you sent the entire thing. Oh, no. So if St Andrew's Bookshop ever wants to have a vendetta against me, yeah. They've got some beautiful content as kind of like the Twilight Sessions from them. So maybe there's some corner of the St. Andrew's Bookshop that you could find the outtakes. I've got hot under the collar in this chair. You have, haven't you? There's a lot of sweat. (laughs) There's a lot of burning up. I'm digging for fire. So um, I think that's enough on the big read. So if you would like that. And to always be thinking, I wonder what the story behind this is that Ollie also filmed. Then download those little films from the big read. So how do people Get it. Simply go to St Andrew's Bookshop. Yeah, store. so there is actually a dedicated website for the Big Church Read. Brilliant. Which uh, it's got I don't great know, books on but there. I don't know what that is. Yes. But Google will get you there. Yes. Um, so go to the Big Church Read website, and you will find lots of books there. Don't pay any attention to any of those. <laughs> Pete Gregory and that nonsense. Ah, it's go brilliant. Go straight to Rachel Gardner's sex on sex. Go straight to sex. There's nothing to add to that. No, nothing. Well, Friends. Look, that was it. For the, we've done yeah, one. We're we've done back. one. We're Dave, your first full episode. Dave, how are you feeling? How are we feeling? Thumbs up, He's thumbs up. He's nodding. Thumbs up. Yeah, I, it's slightly raised eyebrows. We're going to have to work a bit harder. I, 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 I sense in that last section after she reacted, it sort of relaxed a little bit. We did see a bit of Rachel Gardner's dynamic range, didn't we? And so <laughs> you can see Dave just thinking, that's another two hours on my uh, Monday <sighs> night. I've got to spend editing that. Dave, you're so good. Friends, we love you, and we'll be back next week with less of a dynamic range. Martin might be uh, getting hot under the collar. Let's wait and see, shall we? Bye.